You're listening to Rocks Across the Pond, the curling podcast that goes around the globe looking for the best stories in the world's coolest sport. We have curling news and views for everyone, whether you're playing in your Thursday league or following your favorite teams on tour. Now here are your hosts, Ryan McGee and our professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft. Hey everybody, welcome back to Rocks Across the Pond. It's a curling podcast coming to you from Richmond, Virginia. My name is Ryan McGee and joining me in Southampton, England is Jonathan Havercroft. Jonathan, we're here to kind of go over the goings on so far in the mixed doubles tournament at the Olympics. Some crazy, crazy happenings and we have a gold medal match coming up probably after you've listened to this show. I got to watch the 6 a.m. games. Mm-hmm. And then I was able to peek a look at the uh, what for me is the noon game or the 1 o'clock game. So that was the that was the semifinals today for me. So I got to see the end of those because that was my lunch break. But uh, how is it viewing times for you? How do they line up? Uh, great. Uh, I can see... The morning and the night draws pretty easily. It's 7 a.m. and 8 p.m. here. The middle of the day draw in Beijing is at 1 a.m. here, so I don't, I haven't seen those. But so I wake up, I watch the morning draw while getting my son ready to go to daycare, and then I try to watch a replay from the overnight game at some point during the day, and then I watch the nighttime draw. So it's worked out pretty good. That's good. Yeah. So we'll get the bronze medal game here tomorrow morning. So I'll be able to watch that for sure. And I'll try to sneak a peek at the uh, the gold medal game. So let's talk about the gold medal game. It is Team Italy with Amos Masoner and Stefania Constantini against Norway with Kristen Skaslian and Magnus Nedrogolten. And, and we called that final. Yeah, everyone did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously, Italy's been the... I don't want to say shocks. It's a bit insulting to them, but they... The they shocking were, part is they're undefeated. Yeah, they, they ran through, and they've been playing really well. So. Well, to, yeah, they haven't lost. So, yes, yeah. they've been playing really well. Um, so, yeah, let's start with the positive stories, and one of them is Team Italy. I personally didn't see them as a playoff contender i thought they'd do well i mean they played well enough to qualify directly to the mixed doubles olympic tournament they did not have to go to the olympic qualification event the fact that they're undefeated is a big surprise to me uh the Refreshing thing, and I mean, we talked to Marco Mariani, who actually coaches the Chinese women's team. He used to coach in Italy, and he is from Italy. And Marco tried to tell me. He tried to tell me how good Stefania Constantini was. I didn't listen to him, and now the world knows. (laughs) Yeah, and yeah, it's good to see it. And it's good to see, I mean, all right, I like new countries winning medals because mm-hmm. I think that spreads the game a lot further. I I, uh, I do a work call every Friday afternoon with a collaborator from Italy, and she, she she knows I curl. She doesn't know or care anything about curling, but last Friday she knew Italy was undefeated, and I kind of, I was the grumpy Canadian. like, well, wait till they play 
<laughs> Canada, Sweden, and and GB, and of course <laughs> they're still undefeated. So what do I know? Anyway, so, and she was excited, right? So it's nice to it's nice to see new countries get excitement in their home country, and that's going to be huge for Italy running into twenty twenty six too. Yeah, and by the time you listen to this, they may be gold medalists. They are guaranteed Italy's first curling medal. So just, I mean, just a fantastic story. And the other fantastic story that I wanted to talk about, I wanted to leave with lead with positive stories before we start talking about the teams that maybe did not live up to expectations. I do want to talk about Australia because I think that this is just a great positive story to come out of this tournament. Obviously, things did not start off great for Team Australia. They were one of the last teams into the tournament, along with the United States coming out of the Olympic qualification event. They started 0-7. They played much better than their record indicated, especially the first game that really they should have won against the United States. Unfortunately, they missed an open hit for the win, and I wonder what their week how their week would have been different if they had made that shot and started 1-0 and and started with um, with that positive energy and if that had carried over. So they were 0-7, and then the news came that Tally Gill had tested positive for COVID-19, and they were very upfront about it, that Tally had had COVID about a month ago and that it was taking her body longer to shed the virus, and that's probably what led to this positive test. And I went to bed thinking that they were going to be getting on a plane and leaving Beijing and going home and that their Olympics were over. When I woke up, got my son, by the time I got him dressed and got him fed, not only had Tali and Dean from Australia been reinstated back into the tournament, but they had won twice, including against Canada and their coach, John Morris, to finish two and seven. So I am I am thrilled for Tali Gill and Dean Hewitt. I am glad that their story in Beijing had a happy ending, and I hope they inspired uh, their country to go out and try curling and hopefully get a, a dedicated ice rink built in that country. Get a dedicated ice rink built and invest in them because like, they're young and they're good at this discipline and with some funding and four more years, they could come back as a full on metal threat, right? Cause they've beat some of the strongest teams in the field. Uh, next steps just to, you know, put together a string of results. And that's just comes from playing on tour and, uh, you know, going to the worlds every year and hopefully kind of, you know, qualifying for playoffs, maybe punching through and winning a gold one of these years. Yeah. Th- thrilled for the way, their tournament ended really proud of the way that team came together after I can't just a whirlwind 12 hours really because they thought they were going home and then the next thing they knew they'd won twice to finish two and seven absolutely fantastic Um, the other positive story for me is the Czech Republic's been finishing a very respectable four and five with the the first representatives in curling in an Olympics for the Czech Republic yeah, and it's it's good to see too. So I think you all right, so you you said two things to me before this event and you said this event's either going to be a walk for Homan and Morris, which it turned out it was not. No. <laughs> I guess we'll get to that in a second, or it's going to be a bit of a bloodbath. 
I mean, in one sense, it kind of was that there was a lot of parody, right? That, that there wasn't, there were no, it's a, it's a bit of a cliche to say there's no easy games in Olympics, but there were a lot of times you'd look at the draw and say, well, that's who should win that. And there'd be an upset, a quote unquote upset there. Right. So it was a fairly even field, but Italy, you know, played, it was on fire this week. And so they were able to kind of walk through that field, but the rest of the field was, you know, three, four, three, four losses for everybody else. Like there's kind of a big log jam in that kind of a little bit above 500 pack. Right. Yeah. I mean, outside of Italy going nine and oh, you had, Six, two six and threes that made playoffs, two five and fours with the tie broken because Sweden had the head to head over Canada, and then four and five Czech Republic, and then two teams at three and six. Yeah, and that, that's good. I think that's good for that. That's good for the growth of the game globally. One thing that was interesting was the power shift was kind of toward the teams that were selected. Because if you look at the top of the standings versus the bottom of the standings, most of those mixed double specialists were in the bottom five, with the exception of Skaslin and Nedrigolten. And they aren't necessarily mixed double specialists. They both play on successful four-person teams, but they probably play more mixed doubles events than a lot of the other teams in the field that also focus on four person. So do you mean, okay, so there's two ways selected could mean, I think there's like mixed doubles specialist teams and then there's play downs versus selected teams, right? Cause I believe Switzerland had a qualifier still. They did. Yeah. And so they kind of missed out on the playoffs. Canada obviously did not. And that was a bit of controversy. USA did have a qualifier. Mm-hmm. Uh, GB did not. Uh, I don't know how Italy works. Is Italy selection? I believe so. And is Norway selection or is it a championship? I believe they are selected. Uh, I mean, I, I so I think on the selection versus playdowns, as much as the Twitter spiel hates this, and I'm, I'm not a fan of this either, but I can kind of see the writing on the wall. Uh, I think we're headed towards more and more programs going with the, professional selection model, maybe fun two, three teams for the cycle. And uh, you do that as your full-time job and that's it, right? That seems yeah. to be the direction of travel for most associations these days. Yeah. And I think, I think Sweden did play down. I think they, Oscar and Almeida Duval did have to win the Swedish championship and then go and once they qualified at the Worlds, then I think they were team Sweden for the Olympics, but they did have to go through qualification through a tournament the tournament to qualify as team sweden for the worlds oh interesting okay so it's still half and half but i i kind of think that's going to be one of the takeaways there was a there's a long write-up on sportsnet about this what it means for canada i think canada's for a bunch of reasons probably stuck with a play down system for good and for ill but uh, primarily because the biggest money makers for curling canada are their big play down events the skydies and the and the briar so there's kind of a good tradition there, but I think I think there's an argument to be said as if these results kind of keep tracking this way that there might be uh, a lot more pressure uh, against playdown systems as unpopular as that will be in the curling fandom world. I think. 
Well, Canada is going to look at these results and the team that was selected to go missing out on the playoffs and say, we need playdowns. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I don't know how. I mean, I think there's a thing. Anything could be spun any which way, right? I know. I was in marketing for (laughs) decades. (laughs) And I know that in an organization, the decision makers, they'll decide what they want and then they'll they'll seek the justification. I think I think there's a big pushback in Canada. I think there's a culture of that and I I think there's okay. I think that there's a lot more good in terms of having a robust playdown structure for the long-term health of the game, but uh I understand why programs prefer selection. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So what do we make of Canada coming one millimeter away. They were a millimeter away from being the two seed, and they wound up on the other side of that millimeter in a draw in a measure for the win in an extra end against Italy. And because they were a millimeter too heavy, they went from being the two seed to being out of the playoffs. I mean, that's curling. <laughs> like, I think. I, I know I know narratives are based are kind of written around this kind of stuff, but um, I don't you know it's a millimeter. <laughs> it's close. It's the Olympics. Teams are good, and they also right? lost to Australia in their second to last game. Yeah, and I think Australia. You know, Australia also came fell behind against Team GB and came storming back and almost pulled that one off too. And they had a couple of other really close wins. Like they're you see this with a lot of teams where they're like right on the cusp of becoming good. They kind of like really good. They're, they're, already, they're not mm-hmm. necessarily good, but you know what I'm saying? Like, like that's a team that like, I'm serious. If they go out for another quad and they get some funding and support and they just do mixed doubles and hit the tour and train Canmore and do all that stuff they've been doing, they could come back next time and be like a metal favorite for sure. Right. And they're, they're just basically a couple of shots short in a couple of games. And that's the difference between last place and a gold medal at the Olympics. It's, it's not much difference. Like any team there can beat any team. Did you get the chance to watch many of team Canada's games? I didn't, I actually got to see no team Canada games because here it's all team GB and the Canada GB game was, I think it was the middle of the night or it was. I can't remember when it was. It was not when I was able to watch. Like I, it's like those six a.m. Team GB games. I got to see all of them, and then if I was able to kind of like watch on my desktop at lunch, could catch I did, that. I did not watch many of their games. I primarily watched the U.S., Australia, and Italy. Actually, toward the end of the tournament, I was watching Italy a lot. I did see Canada, Italy. I did see Canada. US and in the second half of that game, Homan and Morris just stopped missing. But from what I saw on Twitter, it seemed like John Morris was struggling. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I block out Twitter curling commentary, especially from Canadians, because like I know what the narrative, especially around the Homan Morris team, there's a narrative there that I actually think is false is that like people think they're not getting along when. Like, I think they both have a very direct communication style, which mm-hmm. is probably, it's actually probably good for performance, but people, people who are like curling fans don't like the way that John talks to Rachel. And there's like a, there's like a, a very stupid narrative around Rachel Homan for multiple years. We've talked about a lot of times before that I think just doesn't, isn't accurate. So 
I ignored all that basically. <laughs> I don't know. So without having watched enough games, it's like kind of hard for me to comment on on the performance part of it. Yeah, percentage wise, he was mostly. I mean, kind of up and down. He was either in the 80s or low 70s, even high 60s. So that's down from from four years ago, right? Because yeah. they were like solid in the 80s, and they, they had a pretty sizable gap between them and the rest of the field. Yeah, you look at you know Bruce Mowat, he had three games in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so did I mean, just, well, is, it, tracks, is it just because right? they didn't get the chance to play a ton? This year? Uh, I I mean, I think probably that's part of it. I I mean, John's like the, you know, fantastically talented curler, but his approach to curling is still like at best semi-pro, if you get what I'm saying. Like he's got a job, he's got other things going on, whatever. Versus, and, and Bruce is on it. The media here, he's pretty honest in the interviews that like the pandemic helped him because he was stuck in the National Curling Academy and the only thing he could do is throw five times a week. So that's what he did for the last two years, right? And that's, I, I'm not, I, I'd, I'd be st- shocked if like the elite performer, elite curlers in Canada were like completely locked off the ice. But I've heard interviews with a lot saying that actually ice access was was pretty, pretty thin, right? So I don't know what John's training schedule was going into Going into this, right? And uh, it looked from their social media that they were doing remote training up in Canmore and hunting moose with snowshoes or something. It's their preparation, like a very Rocky Four kind of vibe. But, um, you know, it's been a weird quad. That's the other thing to, to note, right? The pandemic's a pretty big intervening variable. So I wouldn't kind of construct too many big narratives out of this. All right, so let's look at some of the player and kind of what this means going into the four-person game. You had Amos Masoner, who's playing out of his mind right now. You have Bruce Mowat, who's been playing very well, who's going to skip Team GB. Oscar Erickson, I would say, has been good, not great. And then you had Chris Plies with the U- for the U.S., who has kind of struggled. What is that going to mean for their four-person teams going forward? Mowat, I think, is like he's been shooting well for the last three years. So <laughs> like, at this point, at really this point he's changed. just good. <laughs> he's just very, very good, right? So I don't. It's not. A, it's not a big insight. Um, I don't. Okay, I know the Game of Stones guys always talk about fatigue, and I kind of in our text group kind of poo poo that because it's not that much curling. I think physical fatigue. Like I'm not super worried about that. I do wonder if like mental fatigue can be an issue for some of these teams that have Mm -hmm. done both events that you're just, there's so much adrenaline and at some point your brain just burns out right from that. And especially if you're skipping, that might be one place where Canada might be justified for kind of saying you can only do one event as opposed to the Mm -hmm. others. Right. Um, So that might be a factor, but uh, aside from that, I expect it to kind of carry over. I would say we definitely, have to think about Italy as perhaps uh, slightly better than a dark horse in the men's event. Like, and I think we've, we've kind of hinted at that in some other events this year. So um, kind of watch out for them. I don't, I'm not like super worried about the USA, but I'm also not like, like for me, they were always that next tier down. Like 
like basically their path to gold medal was probably similar to the last year. Got to be in that mid pack and then put together a run that gets them the fourth, fourth or third seed in the playoffs. And then just win those two. I think that's always been their path. Um, probably the same for Italy, to be honest, but for Canada, for, you know, team GB, like they're a favorite going in. So I don't think we should you know, expect anything otherwise. Right. Yep. All right. So it's been an eventful mixed doubles tournament. Looking forward to see team Italy go for gold, uh, later on today. Uh, Jonathan, do you have any parting thoughts on mixed doubles? I I am still very much a traditionalist, but I enjoy playing mixed doubles. I actually enjoy playing mixed doubles more than watching it. But I think that for my non-curling friends, so I've had a few friends this week who are not curlers at all, reach out to me saying they are loving the mixed doubles. And I actually do think it's an easier format for, for casuals or non-curlers to follow. Yeah, it's also done in like an hour and 50 minutes. Yeah, it's fast, right? It's fast. The strategy is easy to ca- to follow, I think, because it's got a pretty similar pattern every single end. So you can kind of figure out what's going on. You don't have to learn like a lot of different tactical setups. So uh, I think it's good. And it's it's been a good event. Uh, I expect Canada They're getting nervous now, I imagine, over there across the pond, maybe. And is that, I mean, is that something that maybe, like, was it the pressure for Homan and Morris, as far as being the team that was selected, do you think that that had any kind of factor into it, especially finishing with the two losses the way they did? Uh, I, I mean, like, or is it just who, the pressure of the Olympics? Are we are we overstating the pressure of being a team selected and representing Canada versus just the pressure of just in general representing Canada at the Olympics and being at the Olympics? I, I I really think it's that a the rest of the world's caught up just period and in some ways there the other countries in the world are able to do things Canadians cannot and I, I suspect that one of the big things that's going to come out of this is the British model which was to be honest if you went back like ten years ago Britain was way behind but just because they were able to just say this is what we're doing for the Olympics and all we're going to do is chase gold and we're going to run a program that way. They've got a setup now that Candace kind of start churning out high level teams, whereas Canada's model in some ways might stunt that, right? Like you've got a lot of skips right now in their forties and you it's, there's a pretty big gap between the kind of top players in their forties and people coming up in their twenties. And it, it's, it might be the case that the Canadian model actually stunts growth of some, hmm. some people coming out of juniors, whereas the British models will take you right out of juniors and just kind of train you, train you, train you, train you. And if you don't punch through, we throw you aside and we just kind of grab the next juniors coming up, right? And that's a that's a brutal model for anything but winning gold medals, but it's starting to look like it might work pretty well for winning medals. And most of the other countries are now following the British model, not the Canadian one. But I mean, to say that the pressure got to Homan and Morris, I'm like, who in that field is more experienced in pressure games than Homan and Morris? That's a great point. All right, we will end on that. Uh, We will be back to talk to you midway through the men's and women's event, and we will take a look at that when the time comes. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please find us on Twitter at Curling Podcast or on Facebook and Instagram at Rocks Across the Pond. If you liked this show, 
or if you've liked any of our Olympic content, please leave a five-star review or tell your friends to listen to us if they want to know more about curling. And uh, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you again real soon.